have your Bibles. I hope you do, because we're going to study them. Uh, open them to Luke chapter 24 is where we're going to be as we begin a new study and a new series. Um, what, did I miss something? Uh, did I, I Jesus juked you? Sorry. Uh, Luke 24. Now, does anyone know, here's a question for you, does anyone know what's going on May 18th? It's your mom. Okay, it's Ruth's birthday. So, does it other than Ruth's birthday? May 18th? No, no. You know what May 18th day? May 18th is? It's Ascension Day. Forty days after Easter is uh, when the church celebrates the Ascension. Now, you don't have to celebrate Ascension Day to appreciate the doctrine of the Ascension. And why do I say that? Because Paul tells us that in Colossians 2, verse 16. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or to drink, or in respect to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. So, having said that, though, there's nothing wrong with setting aside certain days or certain seasons to celebrate Christian doctrine. We just got done doing that. What did we just celebrate? What? Yes, Christ's resurrection. Yes. And what do we also set aside every year to celebrate? His birth, Christmas. Yes. So there's nothing wrong with that. Other Christians also, through the centuries, have set apart uh, 40 days after the resurrection to celebrate the ascension. So here's what I want you to do for just a couple minutes there at your tables. I want you to share everything you know about the Ascension. All right, good. How'd it go? How'd it go? Are, have you, are you still, when I just said, how's it going, were you still talking about the Ascension, or did you move back to the weather, or had you moved on to something else? We talked about there wasn't much information in the Bible about it. There wasn't much information in the Bible, yeah. And I, I like uh, Jeremy, you know, he gave the Great Commission, then... He was out of here, okay? And so that's probably basically what we understand. Now, my goal is not to get you to celebrate Ascension Day on May 18th, but I do want to set aside the next 12 weeks to study this doctrine, okay? And maybe that little activity shows you, hey, there might be more to know about this doctrine than what I realize. Here's some questions. Have you ever wondered about the following questions? Maybe you've wondered about them, or maybe someone has asked you these questions. Is that going to work in the weeks ahead? Can you read that? That's not the best, is it? Okay, I'll change that for next week. So here's, the, um, here's some questions. Where did Jesus go after the resurrection? Okay, where did he go? Uh, what is Jesus doing right now in heaven? You know, uh, well, you know where. You know, if you know where he's at, maybe you know he's at the right hand of the Father. But what is he doing? Is he sitting, waiting for the Father to give him the thumbs up to come back for the second coming? Uh, what does the ascension have to do with my everyday life? Okay, good question. Is the ascension a gospel essential? Now, you probably are going to say, well, I don't know. What would you say to that? Yeah, okay. Uh, you Really? Is that what the Bible says? Is that what the Apostle Paul says? 
Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, I'm going to give you what's of first importance regarding the gospel. And he mentions the death, burial, and the resurrection, and that's it. So if, if this is the essential, if this is essential to the gospel, why doesn't he mention it? Um, is the essential uh, is the ascension, is the ascension a, a fundamental doctrine of the church? And you have there in your notes the the Apostles' Creed, one of the earliest confessions of faith of of the church, uh, written not by the apostles, but at the time uh, near to the time of the apostles, has this statement, which is. Uh, he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. So what is the ascension and why does it matter? That's what, that's what we want to do. That's why we're going to do this series. We're going to spend the next 12 weeks answering these questions and many more. The ascension of this, this series is the ascension is looking up for living out. Looking up for living out. How does Jesus going up to heaven impact what's going down here on earth? Okay, and that's kind of the what we're going to unpack. Now, if this doesn't excite you, what I've just shared, if that doesn't excite you, that's okay. Hang in there. I hope it does. I hope it will excite you. I hope it will move you by the time we're done with this study. Today, all I want to do is introduce to you what the ascension means, uh, a simple definition, and then why it is so often overlooked. And, and I, th- I, th- I think we can say it is. It's easy, don't you think, to neglect things you don't understand? Okay, if, if, you, don't, if you don't understand the power and the value of this Bible, it's easy to not read it. Okay, it may be hard to be disciplined to read it all the time, but when you know the value of it, you're always getting back into it. You're always saying, I, 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 this is what I must do. This is important. It's hard to celebrate what you don't like, what you don't understand, what you don't value. It's hard to celebrate it. Why would Christians celebrate the ascension? Well, you know. He gave the Great Commission, and he's out of here. Okay, okay. we're going to have a whole day about that. We're going to have 12 weeks about that. I treasure, uh, Randy gave me one of the greatest gifts anybody's ever given me, other than my wife being my wife. I, he gave me an autograph uh, Super Bowl football of the first Chiefs Super Bowl. The first Chiefs. Randy and I were around at that time. And, uh, and I, I treasure that thing. But you know what, Randy? If you had given that to a Raiders fan, they wouldn't value that. In fact, they'd probably burn it, right? So if you don't value something, you're not going to celebrate. So what is the ascension? Let's get that, let's get that nailed down here this morning. What is the ascension? The ascension of Christ is the resurrected Jesus going up bodily from earth into heaven to be exalted in glory over all. What's the ascension? It's Jesus going up from earth to heaven. And uh, in fact, we, might, we will see that the biblical terminology, one of the ways of describing it, Jesus was lifted up. But going up bodily 
in the resurrected body from earth into heaven to be exalted in glory over all. So what's this mean? A couple, unpack a couple things of that. The resurrection is his powerful triumph. That's what we, I mean, he, he is resurrected in power from death back into life, eternal life. But the ascension is his glorious transition from earth to heaven in that resurrection body. So it's a glorious triumph, res, res, or transition. Resurrection, powerful triumph. Ascension, glorious transition. The ascension is the historical hinge from the lowest point of his earthly humiliation, death on a cross, not just any death, but a cross death, and then buried under the earth, lowest point of earthly humiliation. It's the hinge to the highest point of his heavenly exaltation. To be exalted to the right hand of the Father in glory, there is nothing higher that you can go. from the. So the ascension is this beautiful hinge from that which is the lowest of the lows to the highest of the highs. What, a, what an amazing... And that means Jesus got you covered in anything and everything. He's gone as low as low as you can go. He's as high as high as can be, and He is there. Let's see it in the Scripture. So there in Luke 24, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll... Yeah, let's look at Luke 24. And we'll, it's in verses 50 through 53. But I just do, I do want you to know that in verses 44 through 48, Jesus gives the Great Commission. In verses 44 through 48. In verse 49, he says, And behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then guess what he does? He goes up to on high. Okay, so let's read it. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And get this, while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven and they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple praising God. The first recorded event of the ascension in the Gospels. Right there. It's there. Now, notice verse 51. He was parted from them. He was carried up into heaven. That's the ascension. Going up. But here... He was carried up. Okay, Luke 24. Turn over to Luke, or I'm, I'm sorry, Acts 1. Acts 1. Turn over to Acts chapter 1. And let's see another historical account by the same author, Luke, in Acts. Here in Acts, we're going to see in the days to come, weeks to come, that he has spent the 40 days from the resurrection to the ascension, discussing the kingdom. They ask him, in verse 6, the, the eleven disciples, because Judas is no more, and when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He then gives them the great commission. He answers them with the great commission, verse 8. And then we come to verse 9. 
And after he said these things, he was lifted up. There you go. Again, he's go, his going up, he was taken up, he was lifted up. Passive tense. Some, the father is doing this to the son. He was uh, lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them, angels. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? And if you have your King James, it says, Why stand ye gazing? Oh, I love that. Why stand ye gazing? Uh, this Jesus, who has been taken up, there, there's the word, taken up, lifted up, taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Well, there you go. So if I take those two recorded events of the ascension, let me give it to you this way in a practical way, which kind of sums up what this series is going to be about. Look up, look up to the ascended Christ and be empowered to live out his message and mission by his spirit according to the Father's will. That's the application of this entire series. Look up to live out. Live out his message. Live out his mission. We're going we're gonna to show you those connections and all of that means. You're going to see through this series, listen to me, you're going to see that the ascension will strengthen your faith it, is, it will establish your hope and it will ignite your love to worship more, to witness more, and to walk in the power of His ascension. It's going to be good. Are you excited? Good. I'm glad you are. So, let's look. There's your simple definition. That's the ascension. We're going to build on that in the weeks to come. Why is the ascension so overlooked? Let me just give you five reasons why uh, this is one of the most neglected doctrines among Christians. Number one, the Bible seems to say little about it. Seems to say little. You probably want to circle the seems. It seems to say little about it. Why do I say little? We just read every historical record of the ascension in the New Testament. Just Luke. Just one author. Luke Acts, that's it. You say, what in the world? How are you going to unpack 12 weeks out of seven verses? Because there's more about it than just the historical record of it, but that is the only places. The narrative that we just read covers only seven verses. So it's easy to overlook something when there's, you know, the historical record is, uh, it's repeated twice, but it's only by one gospel author, and it's only seven verses. Mark's shorter ending, the shorter ending of the gospel of Mark, which I think is the inspired ending, ends at verse 8 and makes no mention of it. Matthew leads you right up to it with the Great Commission. Amen. (laughs) Okay? It's not there. Okay? Uh, John ends, you know how John's gospel ends, with the final resurrection appearance of a breakfast fish fry on the seashore. Say that five times fast at your table. Okay, don't. 
And then Paul, which I just read for you at the, in the intro, I read you Paul's essentials of the gospel doesn't even include it. I mean, if, if I asked you, most of you ought to be able to answer me, what's the essentials of the gospel? You should think 1 Corinthians 15, and you would say death, burial, and resurrection. There you go. So what's going on? The narrative only covers seven verses. Secondly, it raises all sorts of questions. You know, if, if, it's, if it's so important, why is it mentioned so little? Why is the ascension not recorded in the other Gospels? Or is it, but just in a different way? Why so little space in Luke-Acts? I mean, Chris, you just told me it's the historical hinge. Seven verses, really? Why is the customary Greek word for ascent not even used? Okay. Why didn't Paul include the ascension in his summary? I mean, if, if this is really vital, let me give you the essentials of the gospel. He was buried, he was he crucified, he was buried, he was raised, and he ascended. Okay? But here's what I want you to, to realize in the weeks to come. The ascension is foreshadowed in the Old Testament. It is foreshadowed. There is a lot of going up. In the Old Testament. In fact, there are two different prophets who are taken up in the Old Testament. Enoch and Elijah. And so it's foreshadowed in various ways. But it's fulfilled in the New Testament. And so there's, there may, the historical record is limited, but the doctrine is pervasive. Second, why is it overlooked? The ascension seems like a bad plan. <laughs> it's, Jesus, you really want to do this? To our pragmatic, man-centered way of thinking, we're like, I, we could improve on this. This is not a good plan. You just conquered all things and you're leaving? What is going on? The ascension begs the question. Here it is. The ascension begs the question. Why did Jesus have to leave? Why did Jesus have to leave? Right? The 11, listen, and, and, and this is human nature. The 11 disciples were puzzled by it in the upper room. On the night before the crucifixion, Jesus does talk about his ascension, and they're puzzled by it. They're like, What? Where are you going? How do we know the way? What, what in the world? What, you're abandoning us. What's happening? All that was going on. After the resurrection, Mary is puzzled by it. We're going to see in a few moments that Mary encounters, Mary Magdalene encounters the resurrected Lord. And once she first thinks he's a gardener, then she figures out he's the risen Lord. There's a little story for you. And then she immediately hugs him. And Jesus says, hey, stop clinging to me. I have not yet gone up to my father. So she was perplexed by it. And then we just read the 11 disciples were paralyzed by it. After the resurrection, because he go or after the ascension, they're watching him go up and they're paralyzed. They're just like gazing. And the angels come and say, Why stand ye gazing? So it's like, what's you know, human nature thinks, what's going on? After all, wouldn't it be better for Jesus to remain here on earth with us? So here's how we typically think, okay? Here's the premise that we typically have. Premise one. Being with Jesus bodily 
in the new creation is the best end goal. Or, or you could just say it simply, being with Jesus bodily is the best. Premise two, Jesus is no longer with us bodily. Conclusion, it would have been better if Jesus had not left. Okay? And that's how we think. Now, why do we think this way? Well, I think it's easy to think if Jesus hadn't left, evangelism would be easier. Okay? Hey, check out Jesus on Instagram. He's got some good news for you, you know. Friend him on social media. You really need to know this guy. You know, he, he, he's really rocking the, the social media. Uh, edification would be better, right? Uh, we, we, we could plan to visit him in person. So instead of going to the Holy Land to walk where he walked, you could go to the Holy Land and walk with him where he walked. I thought that was good. Uh, instead of going to the Holy Land, you could go visit the Holy Man himself. I mean, this edification would be better. Exaltation would be greater. If I could just see him, I would convert. How many people say that? They say it all the time. Wouldn't more people get saved? Uh, his exaltation would be greater. If I could just hug him, I would be comforted. Mary seemed to think that. If I could just touch him, I would be convinced. Think about 1 John. I'm discipling a young man going through 1 John. So 1 John's on my mind. 1 John 1, 1 through 3. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at, what we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard and proclaimed to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and His Son. Well... Good for you. I wish I could have done that, right? So here's all the idea. It's, it's, it's a bad plan. Well, we're going to find out that it's not, obviously. But we're going to find out why. Third, third reason why the ascension is so easy to neglect and overlook. The ascension's implications are unclear. They are unclear. So if we if we stopped for a moment and said... Discuss at your tables all the implications of the ascension. It might be a rather short conversation, okay? And that's why we're having this series. The implications are huge, but they're unclear. Why did Jesus have to, have to leave? Why did Jesus have to leave? Let me give you a couple examples from the scriptures. You rose, so let's hold on to this moment forever. Apparently, John 20, that's what Mary wanted to do, right? Uh, you can go online. I've got a whole series on uh, close encounters of the, of the real kind or the Jesus kind. And we go through all the resurrection appearances and the different personality types that are real and actual and how Jesus adjusted to them. And uh, I, it's one of, it's, I love that study. Mary, here's Mary. Jesus, the only thing Jesus says to her in John 20 is Mary. That's all she had to hear. And Mary, being a, a, a sanguine-type personality, she turns and she goes in for the 
the most dreaded moment of an introvert's life. She hugged him. Now, Jesus likes that. He doesn't mind that. But it was the idea of, I'm going to hold on to you now. I, I thought I had lost you. Now I'm going to hold on to you. Because it, it can't get any better than this. And Jesus says, stop clinging to me. There's something better. The ascension. The ascension. And so I find that a beautiful um, Jesus said to her, Mary, this is John 20, 16. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me. And the implication is she was clinging. She wasn't going to stop clinging. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. So the ascension is there. It's just recorded twice. But that's a pretty powerful statement. So the first statement wasn't, go tell them I rose. Go tell them I'm ascending. I'm ascending. Secondly, so the first is you rose, so let's hold on to this moment forever. The second is you rose, so let's get her done. Yeah, you like that, Dan? I, I knew someone would. Not many, but a few. I had to look up how to spell it and make sure so I knew how to say it. You rose, so let's get her done. What more is there to, I mean, you know, you know what, what, why, why wait? Let, let's, let's conquer the world. You know, let's establish the kingdom. Let's, let's bring in the new creation. Let's fast forward to the final fulfillment of all things. That's what we saw in Acts 1.6. We, we already read that. So when they had come together, they were asking him. This is after 40 days of resurrection appearances. So they had worn Easter out, so to speak, okay? They had celebrated Easter for 40 days. He had been teaching them about the kingdom for 40 days. We'll see what that means. And they were asking him, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And we're going to see, he doesn't say, hey, numbskulls, Israel's been replaced by the church. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, hey, you boneheads, I've just been talking about the kingdom 40 days. Where did this question about restoring the kingdom to the nation of Israel come from? No, it came right out of those discussions. Their question was one of timing. Well, you're risen. Let's get her done. And what does he say? What does he say? He said to them, verse 7, it is not for you to know the time. See, the question was not dumb. The question was not wrong. The question was not carnal. The question was one of timing. It's not time yet to get her done in that manner. It will be. It is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by His own authority. But, but, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest parts. And after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received them out of their sight. So Jesus said, well, we're going to get her done, but not in the order that you're thinking. The Israel kingdom restore, restoration that's yet future. What you need to focus now on is the ingathering of the Gentiles. Now, here's a third thing. What difference is your leaving going to make? 
I mean, what? how could your bodily leaving us be remotely better than you staying with us? And, and this is addressed in John 14. So why don't you turn there in your Bibles, John 14. Here is another discussion of the ascension, another interaction that we will study towards the end of our series. But in John 14, 1, the, you know, I mean, after all, if you're left, it's out of sight, out of mind, right? John 14, 1, Jesus realizes this and says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go, I go, I ascend, I go up to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way I am going. You know the way where I am going. And Thomas, of course, says to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? We'll, we'll, we'll unpack that later on. I just want you to see there's, there, there's confusion. They feel abandoned. They feel like they're going to be orphaned. Therefore, drop down to verse 18. Jesus reassures them in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So he's already hinting there's going to be a presence. But it's going to be a, he's going to be there and here. And how does that work? We'll talk about that in the weeks to come. But the implications are not really spelled out, it seems, around the recorded event. You know, if you said, what's the ascension? You probably said this. You know, it's his going up. And you're exactly right. That was my definition that we've seen, that we've given you that. But what are the implications of that? That's what this series is about. A uh, fourth reason that we often overlook the ascension is the ascension is an unusual event. I mean, would you agree? Have you seen anybody teleported, uh, tele- teleported lately other than how many have watched Star Trek recently, right? Is, it, is this what uh, recently? Last? Transported. Yeah, yeah. Teleported, transported. Thank you. Did you watch it yes, last night? Yeah. Do you think that's what happened to Jesus? No, no, but 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 that's pretty much all that we know, right? I mean, you know, did he did he you know did he just sparkle and then you know give? Or I think on the new Star Trek he has like beams of light. I don't know. So that's what we think. How did it happen? Beam me up, Scotty. Alien abduction. We're watching. Gwen and I are in the middle of a movie. Gwen's. This is about alien abduction. I can tell you that. And I said, Well, I'm going to talk about that tomorrow. So, was he? You know, what, what's going on? Where did he go? Did he ascend through outer space? Did he have to go beyond the entire galaxy to the final frontier? I mean, did he outdo James Kirk and go? You know, I mean, what? How? Where did he go? And then why not just rapture everybody the moment they get converted? If he got to do that, why can't we? And we told you that the uh, Catholic false doctrine of the assumption of Mary is that when Mary died, she did get to be immediately, not when she converted, but when she died, she had the bodily assumption, right? I said, we're going to talk about the ascension of Jesus. And Angela, Angela said, what? The bodily assumption of Mary? I said, no, no, no. The Jesus, Jesus, the ascension. So what's going on here? What's going on? Fifth, fifth 
it's a neglected is the ascension is often assumed in the Bible. It's often assumed or subsumed. In other words, it's included when other things are mentioned. It is assumed that you are going to connect this together. Let's talk about this a little bit. How does the ascension fit into the gospel? Okay, let me give you the big picture. How does it fit? Big picture for the promised Messiah. If you look in the Old Testament, the big picture is two stages. Two stages. You say, Chris, what are those two stages? Humiliation, then exaltation. Going down and then going up. That's the prediction of the Messiah. If you trace through the prophetic predictions of the Messiah, it comes down to going down and then lifted up. So let me take you to Isaiah. So the two most famous places in the Bible where this is predicted and then fulfilled, the, the best place to go for the prediction is the servant songs of Isaiah. And, the, and the, the, uh, the, the, there's four servant songs. You can go online. We did a whole series during COVID on that. That was fun. Uh, but the study was great. Uh, Isaiah 52. So turn your Bibles to Isaiah 52. And uh, this is the fourth servant song. And so turn there to Isaiah 52. And it is one of the uh, clearest predictions. And in fact, the fulfillment of it is in Philippians chapter 2, which is referring back to this. Okay. So here's your two high points in both the Old Testament and the New. So in Isaiah 52, we're going to start in verse 13, and we're going to see, Behold, my servant will prosper. That's why they're called servant songs. They're about the suffering servant. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up. So he's a lowly servant, and yet he's going to be high, lifted up, and greatly exalted. But how is that going to happen? What is the two stages? Notice verse, verse 14. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man, his form more than the sons of men. Thus, he will sprinkle many nations. It's talking about the brutal humiliation of the crucifixion. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not been told them, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. There's a mystery going on in the fulfillment of the gospel. His humiliation is redeeming. Notice verse 53. Who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot. Something... something. Uh, uh, just, it, it's amazing that it even lived. And like a root out of parched ground, how could this thing ever grow in such a, such a hostile environment? He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, no appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hid their face, he was despised and we did not disdain him. Esteem him. Surely our griefs he bore, and it goes through his chastening, it goes through his affliction, and it goes down to verse 10. 
But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper his hand. Humiliation, exaltation. Verse 11, as a result, the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, the, my servant, will justify the many and he will bear their iniquities. There's the humiliation for our redemption. But look at verse 12. Therefore, I will allot with him a portion with the great. And he will divide the booty with the strong. Because he poured himself out to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. All I'm saying here, this is a prediction of utter humiliation to be rewarded by what? Glorious exaltation. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Basically, Paul says, that which is predicted by Isaiah has been fulfilled in none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what it says, Philippians chapter 2. Verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, eternal Son of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be selfishly grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself further by becoming obedient to the point of death, and not just any death, even death on a cross. There's the utter humiliation. Verse 9, Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what am I saying? I'm simply saying this, that everything about his humiliation is summed up in the crucifixion, and everything about his exaltation begins with the resurrection, but it must be linked to his ultimate ascension over all things. So when you see resurrection, think ascension. So it's there. It's there in, God, uh, in Paul's gospels, uh, gospel essentials. Here's the idea about the ascension. You know why it's overlooked and we got it, we got it close? The ascension is like having your birthday on December 23rd or the 28th. And what happens? It gets overlooked, right? Because of Christmas, right? And the ascension gets overlooked due to the resurrection. And it gets overlooked due to the return of Christ. But it's the historical hinge. How is he going to come back? Because he went up. Now, here's what I want you to see. And you meditate on this. And we'll see this for the rest of this series. 
that chart there shows you where the ascension fits in. It takes the Isaiah passage we just read. It takes the Philippians passage and it shows you the humiliation of the suffering servant began in his incarnation when he said, instead of being clothed with glory and being surrounded by angels saying, holy, 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 I'm going to take on human flesh and hang out in the womb of a woman. That's humiliation for the Son of God. And then he was born, and then he identified with sinners at his baptism. That's humiliation. And then he went through a ministry where he had no place to lay his head. He was hungry. He was tired. He was rejected. He was ridiculed. He was mocked. That's humiliation. Then he was crucified. And what's worse, they were going to throw him in the dump. And he was placed in a tomb in darkness. Then the resurrection and the exaltation begun. He's risen. But more than that, he's ascended to the highest of the highs. And through that ascension, he's glorified. And then he sits, that's called the session, at the right hand. Then he provides the spirit. Then he intercedes for us as our high priest, which he is doing now. And finally, the revelation. It's not revelations, it's the revelation, the last book of the Bible, the ascended one comes back. And that's when his exaltation is complete. He's exalted as high as he can be, but on earth we don't see him exalted. People don't treat him as exalted. Every knee has not yet bowed. Every tongue has not yet confessed. But there's going to be a a moment when his feet touch the Mount of Olives physically, bodily, the same body. The same body that he has now. It's amazing. Read Revelation 1. You want to see what the ascended Christ? Listen, Christians, I'm getting, I got to stop. Christians are always wanting to go back to the Gospels. I'm not dismissing the Gospels. But if you try to get your current view of Jesus from the Gospels, you need to hear this 12 week study. He's ascended. He's ascended. You want to know who Jesus is now? Go to Revelation 1, where John fell down stone cold dead in fear and shock. That's who the Jesus is. And he will come back. Anyway, are you excited about this series? Yeah, I am. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for... If, if, you're, if you didn't reveal these things, we wouldn't know these things. It's that simple. And if your spirit didn't open our stone-cold hearts, we wouldn't understand what we have heard and what you have revealed. God, humble us before your word. Forgive us for not reading it. Forgive us for not obeying it. Forgive us for claiming to believe it and yet not treasuring it like a chief Super Bowl football. Lord, We have the greatest treasure. You are the ascended Lord. Help us to learn about it in the weeks to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Oh, it's going to be good.